is the number one commodity in the world that you can't get back once it's gone. Time. So I will keep this brief. I'm Mutita Panmuk, a time efficiency expert and a business operations strategist, who is as known as the Time Queen. Welcome to my Get Unstuck Radio. Running a business can be very overwhelming at times, especially in the first few years when you are required to wear the hats and do all the things. You started your company because you had a vision that almost every business owner has when they begin. You wanted freedom, true freedom. So you are in the right place to help you build and grow your business that support your lifestyle, not the other way around. Without further ado, let's get unstuck. Hi, get unstuck nation. So our guest today, Dr. Jonathan Marians, um, who believe that when we live, connect, and communicate authentically, we create a ripple effect that turns the world into a more caring and connected place. So he brings his over 20 plus years of an award-winning cultural anthropology professor and author to Get Unstuck podcast today. So please welcome Jonathan to Get Unstuck podcast. So hi, Jonathan. Hi, Mutita. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so eager to learn about you because as I told you offline that I have never seen anything in depth like this before. And I'm like, wow, today I'm going to be a good student and be a good interviewer for you today. Thank you so much. So before we get started, what the difference like between being a professor and now you be an entrepreneur? Like how this started even? Yeah, how did it start? So um, we were talking before, you know, a little bit about anthropology and cultural anthropology and how a lot of the times we go and we live somewhere to study you know, how people live and, you know, how they do things. And so that was very true for me. And in the first half of 2019, I was in Brazil doing research. I was in Rio de Janeiro at the time and staying with a very good friend of mine who very generously would let me stay, you know, in a small second bedroom in his house when I was there. And there was one day I was sitting in the living room and looking out the window across the street. And this isn't the tourist areas of the city. This is where local people who've been born and lived their whole lives there live. And I remember thinking this room that he's letting me stay in so generously is smaller than my closet at home, but I feel more at home here. What is that about? And the more I thought about it, I realized that while all of my friends in Brazil knew what I did professionally, were proud of me, were proud for me, they didn't care. They loved me, the person. They loved Jonathan. Not all the accomplishments, not all the accolades. And that as long as I stayed in academia, it was going to be about, you know, what are your teaching evaluations? What are your latest publications? Have you gotten any grants recently? Um, have you been elected to the board or leadership of any new organizations? And it was always going to be about those external measures of accomplishment and success. And that wasn't a life that I truly found meaningful or fulfilling anymore. That's what made me start to go, okay, what else? There needs to be something different. So that brought you to a question how fulfilled life looks like, isn't it? Absolutely. And as you go on in the years, you know, we all start out having these ideas, whether we learn them from our parents or our social surround or media, that we sort of internalize these ideas of what things are supposed to be like, what we should do, what should be the life you live. And yet, if we're really willing to look at it honestly, sometimes that's not what's really satisfying. Sometimes it's like, okay, I've accomplished those things. 
So in my case, I got a tenured position. I had the job security. I had four books published already. I had contracts for two more at the time. And it was like, but I'm not joyful in this life. I'm not flourishing. And if I keep going down this path, and again, we can all find times in our life where it's like, no, I just need to do this to get to the next point. But if I stopped and I thought about it, it was like, okay, if I keep going down this route, is there another side to it? And it's like, no, this is a hamster wheel of external accomplishments. And those aren't satisfying to me. And even if I get more, it's not actually making me live a life I love. So that said, it was time to look for something else. And what was the thing that you start changing then? Yeah, fantastic question. So the first thing I did was just really take an honest, evaluative look. So what was my job as a tenured faculty member? So 40% of it was research. So was I good at the research and the academic publishing? Yeah, I was. Again, at the time I had four books out. Uh, one had won, uh, you know, an award. I had two more contracts, as I said, but I didn't love doing it. Okay, I'm good at it. Doesn't mean I love it. 20% was professional service. So I'm someone who'd rather see things go well. And if I see where I could make a contribution, I'll step in. So I'd been the president of two national organizations. It's satisfying to see something turn out better, but I don't love doing that. And the other 40% is teaching. And as I thought about it, I'm like, okay, there's something there. There's part of it I like, but it's not the way that, especially in the U.S., uh, academia has become more and more, you know, a business model. And so the student evaluations, they're really just satisfaction surveys because you can't ask a 18, 19, 20-year-old to really evaluate the value of a class, whether they liked it, sure. But the upper administration was starting to put questions like, how useful is this class to your future career? Well, maybe when you're just starting university, you don't know that yet. And maybe not every class has to be aggrandized job training. Maybe some of it should be just thinking more broadly, having different frameworks from which to approach anything in life. But the part of teaching that I did like, that I truly loved, was those like informal five, 10 minutes before or after class where students had their own questions. And how did this apply to them and their life and things they were thinking about? Or my graduate students, my master's and my PhD students, because unlike some other fields where I have a lab and my projects and the students are just doing something under that umbrella, in cultural anthropology, I'm helping my students find out and figure out, you know, what questions do they have? What are the things they want to learn about and uncover and unpack and understand? And how are they going to find their own answers? How are they going to do the research to get their answers to their questions? When I stopped and, you know, stepped back from that and thought about it, we'll help you identify your questions and you find your own answers to your own questions, life coaching. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how you do coaching. So, and how, what next for you after you discover that? That sounds very methodological. I'm very impressed <laughs> how you process this. Okay, I'm keep going. I'm listening. I'm, I'm very impressed right now. Okay, after your self-evaluation, you so what, what next? What next, is, what next have you done? Yeah, no, thank you so much. Um, no, that was exactly right. It was like, okay, so I've decided that coaching feels right. It feels resonant. And so while I was still in Brazil, I started to look at different coach training programs, had identified two that I were really for me in different ways and ended up choosing one of them just because of the flexibility of taking classes. Uh, it was possible mm -hmm. to not just show up at a given time You could had lots of options for times. And that made a difference to me because I was still a full-time faculty member. 
And I don't know at the time, one semester to the next, what my teaching schedule is going to be. I can't control that. And if there's an mm -hmm. academic conference, I might have to go. So I went with the one that was the most flexible because that's what I could put into my life as it was. And then, so I just started the training there. And then there's an interesting piece here because that was probably about August of 2019 that I started my training the first time. And then in November of 2019, I... Still to this day, we don't know exactly what caused it, but I woke up one morning and when I tried to get out of bed, there was this lightning bolt of pain down my right side. And it was only months later, it wasn't actually until January of 2020 that we had a correct diagnosis. There had been nerve damage at the L3 uh, channel on the right side of my spine. For five weeks, I couldn't even roll over on a side. And when I'd been in Brazil, when I'd been doing research, I'd been interviewing and talking to some dancers and had really, we talked a lot about this idea of actively doing and accomplishing versus being. And we'd had those conversations about we're human beings, not human doings. And so you need to start there. And I really thought I understood it. To me, I was on team being. It was already part of me. But when I got injured, I realized it was an intellectual, a philosophical commitment. Once I was truly almost paralyzed and had nerve pain and needed people to come and help with the most basic things, I couldn't roll on a side on my own. I needed them to come over and fill a water bottle, mix me a protein shake, help out with emptying things just for sanitary purposes. And I had these really existential challenges and questions of, am I the same Jonathan if I can't do all the things I did before? Do I have as much value as a human being when I can't do things? And if anyone's ever had nerve pain, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I would never want to repeat anything like it. At the same time, I wouldn't give the experience back now that it's happened because it really forced me to think those things through. And that's where I came up with, we really, to live those deeply meaningful and satisfying lives, need to focus on how we're being in the world and not just chase after the things we're doing or trying to accomplish. Oh, I totally resonate with that. Have have you, you watched some of my episodes, but have you heard that I got a car accident that I shared? I'm not sure. If you're not, I'm gonna share with you now. No, please share, uh, please. Okay, so I had a car accident about two years, almost to be two years, um, not almost, okay, yeah, no, yeah, and a half, maybe, I don't know, um, yeah, I couldn't walk for like eight months uh, on my right side as well, so mm. I got hip displacement, and I have this huge metal in my hips right here, um, and I totally understand how nerve damage feel. <laughs> I couldn't use my leg i know how that pain like i try to explain to everyone that is like the pain has come and comes and goes some days i can walk someday i cannot like it's totally painful that i couldn't feel anything and it's totally numb like it's i got that i got that part totally and when you mentioned this this got me thinking too are we a human being are we active living right is that is that are you asking yourself that? And I also having the same thought when I was on the bed, cannot do anything with myself. Am I a same person if I couldn't do anything before that accident? Like that is totally, yeah, that, that's, that's got me thinking the same way. Mm -hmm. And what is your, and what is your answer then? So I think what came through to me as I just sat with those questions and thought about everything is, am I the same human being? Absolutely not. Do I have the same value as a human being? Absolutely yes. As long as I'm not getting attached to what came before is the only version that counts. It's not 
when we have, we all have things that are, you know, troubling experiences in our lives that are traumatic to us, excuse me, that maybe even trauma in the true sense of it. And if we get attached to, I need to get back to where I was, it's not possible. And you'll never find a way forward that's satisfying. If on the contrary, and the, the latest, you know, research on post-traumatic growth really supports this, that post-traumatic growth is not the absence of distress. It's growth within the context of distress. Mm. And so do I have as much value as a human being? Absolutely, I can. Am I the same human being? Do I have the same value? In an absolute equivalent sense, no. But as in the sense of as much value in a new way, a different way, a changed way, absolutely. And I'd go one step further. Uh, I don't know if any of your listeners or you are familiar with the Japanese practice of kintsukuroi, but it's the idea that pottery, when it's when been it's broken, broken. Ah, yeah. and they use the gold to, to exactly, exactly that you mend with gold. And the idea is that it's actually more beautiful now for having been broken. And the part of that to me that's so important is this idea that we can go through human lives and not be broken in different ways at different times is ridiculous. There's painful things, but more than just we can be put back together. If you try and glue it and make it look like it hasn't been broken, it doesn't work. But when you fill it in with gold, then it's what do you choose to fill in experiences with? That's what makes life truly beautiful. And it's beautiful in a unique way because it's what you choose to fill in. And you try and pretend it wasn't broken. Do you just patch it up and like put a Band-Aid over it, hoping it doesn't notice and it's just functional? Or you say, look, something happened and I'm going to fill it in with gold. 100%. I actually, yeah, I agree. I, I, I couldn't agree more because there's only two ways to look at it at any situations. Whether you're going to embrace it or you're going to blame something about it, why it's happened to me or it's happened for me, right? So, yeah. Oh, I have nothing to comment on that. You put it very well. So what, what inspired you afterward? Yeah, so several different things. And if I could, I just want to follow up on a word you just used, which I think is so important. You, you said blame. And I think that one of the challenges people have is, look, things that we don't want to happen. I don't want to say bad because it's only bad if you make it that, but unpleasant, troubling, distressing things happen in life. And when we get caught up in, you know, fighting with that, we're fighting with what is. And so a blame framework is, it's like, I'm finding fault. Okay, so even if that's true, so what? And if we shift from fault, from blame to responsibility, now we have an option to move forward. So if I'm going to pick the kids up at school, if I just decide I'm not going to go, okay, now I'm to blame. That's fair. But if there's a car accident and I can't get through, I'm not to blame, but I still have a responsibility. I need to find a way to let you know, the teachers know that they, I can't get there to call someone who could come from the other side. And so it's the same thing in life. When things happen, are we just trying to find faults or are we saying, okay, here's the responsible party. Here's what was behind it. What can I do now? So I just think that's a really important piece of the picture. To come back to the question you asked, I think there's a lot of really good work out there on the importance of meaning in life and that we have this fundamental need for our lives to mean something. And that goes back to like Viktor Frankl and logotherapy and all of the research he did coming out of the Holocaust and these atrocious experiences, this crucible of human experience, and yet why did some people still manage to flourish or thrive as much as possible, and why did some will? And what he came up with was people who could find some meaning. It's not 
a meaning. It's not the meaning of life, but what was meaningful to them in their experience. And, you know, Simon Sinek right now, very well known for, you know, start with why. And I think that's amazing work. And I really suggest everyone look at both of those um, thought leaders on this in this space. Yet at the same time, in the moment when we're feeling distress, sometimes it's too hard to get in touch with why. Sometimes it's too overwhelming. And for me, what I came up with was what I can always pay attention to and what I can always affect is how do I want to show up? How do I want to be? It can be in this relationship, in this circumstance, in this very conversation. How do I want to be? And if I can do that, now I can live a life where I'm being who I want. Right now. Mm. And if all your moments are being who you want to be right now, then what's the whole life like? Let that sink in. Everyone, are you following us? I am in a very deep thought right now. I really enjoy this conversation. Oh my gosh. So, but how can anyone else know if they have never have like a life-changing situation or something that poked them that, hey, wakes up or do you satisfy with your normal life or something? Like if they just keep living their normal life and, and they not even have any feeling with it, like how can they know this thing that this is, their fulfilled life yet sure so the first thing is look if you're totally comfortable and satisfied and fulfilled in your life and you like it the way it is and you know if i said you know here's a magic wand you have three wishes no limits what would you change and you're like nothing then fantastic please reach out to me i want to hire you as my life coach if everything (laughs) if you're living the perfect life that's amazing congratulations I'm jealous. Um, at the same time, I think for most of us, even when life is satisfying, there are areas and domains which we want to improve, which we'd like to be better. We're working towards something. And I think all too often, we're not actually clear about what we're working to, or we're working towards the things that we've somehow think we're supposed to, as opposed to what's authentic to us. So that's where we already talked about why that idea of being became so important to me. And especially when I was injured, the value of just being versus doing. And so the the acronym I decided to use when I was really framing everything was being. So B is for begin where you are. And I think mm. this is so important because all too often, if you say, you know, where would you you like to go, people just rush to change things. But if you get on your phone, if you do the GPS in your car, if you pull out a paper map, if you don't have a signal that says this is where you are now or a point that says this is where you are, you can't navigate anywhere. You know, think about when you go to a mall and you look at the giant map, you have to find the this you you are here button or else you can't go anywhere. So I think when people decide or feel like they do want something to change, they rush forward before actually saying, wait a minute, where am I? And yeah, there are going to be constraints, but there's also opportunities. And rather than a deficits model of, you know, what's wrong, uh, what are my weaknesses? Well, what are your strengths? What do you bring to the table? What are the skills you've learned? What are the experiences you've had that can inform everything else? So B is for begin where you are. E, explore where you want to go. And again, someone could say, oh, I want to go on vacation. Okay, great. But do you like, you know, art galleries and museums? Do you like beaches? Do you like mountains? Do you want to go skiing? Like, where do you want to go? And all too often in our lives, it's, oh, I want to get a promotion. Why? I'm not saying you shouldn't. Like, 
fantastic. But is it, it's more in line with what you want to do or where you feel you can make a contribution? Is it just a larger paycheck? Nothing wrong with that, but what comes with it? Maybe there's more responsibility and you'll have less time to do activities you really enjoy or to spend time with loved ones. If that's a trade-off that's worth it to you, fantastic. But have you actually explored that or are you following the things that we think we're supposed to? So B was for begin where you are, explore was next with E. And then with I, it's really investigate how you're going to get between the two, right? Mm -hmm. So there's lots of different ways. Do you want the scenic path? Do you want the most direct path? Do you want the one where you get to stop and visit different locations or people along the way? And the piece that really stood out to me in the first time I started working with clients and introduced it to them, the feedback was, wow, this is interesting. It wasn't just investigate how you're going to go. It's investigate how do you make your best choices. So if you think about, and I, I ask people to put it on a piece of paper, two columns. On the left side, what are the choices and decisions they've made in their life that they, looking back on it, find the most rewarding, fulfilling, meaningful? And on the other side, the ones that they actually, whether it's regret the most or wish they'd done differently. And now identify how you made each of those decisions. So maybe for you, it's pros and cons lists. Maybe it's what's my gut feeling. Maybe it's if I share with, you know, loved ones who know me well, what do they suggest? So identify how you make your best choices and now apply that to the different ways between where you started and where you're going, now you have a path forward. Mm -hmm. So be where you are, explore where you want to go, investigate how you're going to get there, and now start. All too often, we're so busy trying to get it just right, and this is where perfectionism and other senses of, like, there's a wrong answer show up. Just start. If you've really identified where you are, where you're going, and you know why you want to go the way you want to go, fine, there's a detour. Maybe you're driving home and there's literally a detour. Okay, you're not lost. You just go a different way. You still know where you're going and you know why you're trying to get there. Or maybe you're driving along, you know, and all of a sudden it's, you know, 20 kilometers down the road, you know, world, you know, Guinness World Book of Records. This is here. If I'm in a hurry or something's important to me, I don't go. But if I'm like, oh, that's interesting, I could go. I go and I can get right back on the path because I know where I'm going and why. So now we're up through N. G get your best life. And I don't mean that it's done and completed. I don't mean it in a binary. It's really important to take stock and say, look, that's where I started. That's where I wanted to go. Here's where I decided to get there. Here's what I've done to get there. Where am I now? Even if I choose, I want to go somewhere else as my next stop, you've come so far. What are the lessons you've learned? What are the experiences you've had? And this is the chance to just sort of really consolidate that and be grateful for those things. And to recognize that you now have a system you can use for the rest of your life. That's mm. the being strategy. And then repeat that every time that you want to do the new things. That's good. Yep. That's so, a good and easy to remember. Yeah. Thank you. So, I mean, I use that in my life coaching. And I use that when I'm consulting with different organizations. It's the same idea. Begin where you are. Investigate where you want. Sorry, explore where you want to go. Investigate how you want to get there and why that's right for you. Now start and what do you need to do that? And G, you know, get the result of the effort and understand that you now have a system you can use going forward. Do you think that individuals and organization works differently? That's a really interesting question. I would say yes and no. Um, for the fact that I think all too often when we think about individuals, we fall into this fallacy of saying that we're singular and we think it's one individual. 
I don't feel the same when I show up with even one good friend versus another good friend. And it's not that I'm being inauthentic, but it's actual what's true between us isn't necessarily true between other people. And what's true between us today at this moment might not even be what's true between us tomorrow. And so I think we oversimplify what it is to be an individual. That said, with an organization, with a group, you do have different people with different interests. And rather than trying to force that to all be one, I think where we get the most synergistic effects is we say, where is their overlap? Where is there a shared mission? And we're not trying to force everything to overlap. Mm -hmm. I don't try and get everyone who I'm close to, friends, family, colleagues, to get along with each other. They're different people and I relate to them for different reasons. Sometimes there's more organic overlap, sometimes there isn't, and that's okay. So in an organization, it's where is the overlap? How do we leverage that for the best impact and outcome for everyone? And it's okay that there's also areas of difference. That's the diversity, that's the richness. But the issue is that not everyone accepts other people that way, isn't it? Sure. And that's where I would lean back into you know some of what I used to teach as far as cultural anthropology. And we can't force people to accept others. At the same time, I would challenge an organization that says that, you know, or an individual within an organization um, that's not accepting of variance. And an organization that's okay with people who insist on that there's a problem. And it doesn't mean we have to agree with people. I think this is one of the most important things. We're never talking about, I need to agree with you. I need to understand you and accept that the fact that you're different from me doesn't make your way any less valid. It may not be mm. valid for me. It doesn't make it invalid for you. Mm, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's, that's actually very true. It's both, do you aware of yourself that this is your value? And you have no need to ask for permission to validate that. That's mm -hmm. that's actually authenticity, right? And, Absolutely. And how you show up to another party, whether it's going to be to group or to individuals, it can be both you in the different ways with different interests. Absolutely. And the way I used to always talk about this, um, some of my most, uh, I don't know what you'd say, uh, the classes I taught where it was both, there was always, you know, enrollment well beyond capacity, but I also felt it was the most impactful. I used to teach a class on culture and medicine, uh, first to nursing programs in California, then uh, within anthropology and pre-med, and then as part of founding a medical humanities program in Arkansas. And one idea that I would induce other classes as well, but this idea of cultural logic. And what I mean by that, no one on the planet wakes up in the morning and goes, this doesn't make any sense to me. I'm going to go do it. No yes. one. It makes sense to them. They may not think it's a good idea, but I guarantee you of everything that they're aware of, it makes more sense to them to, than anything else, or they do something else. And so if rather than approaching people with this accusatory, how can you think that? Um, you know, because it's different from yours, we do it with genuine curiosity. How can you think that? Because I trust there is a logic. Now I can understand them. Now we have the potential to build bridges. Now we have the potential for truly authentic connection and communication. That makes the world a more caring and connected place. It's like using positive psychology teaching your children. It's the same way. Instead of don't do this, don't do that, Asking them why you choose to do this. 
and and bring more connection towards it. I think this is so important because that is something lack when like um anchors of the parents or like some temper rest up, you know. So that's this is this means many things in many level of the society, from the small to the bigger level. But here's the thing: there is another thing that involve that gets into human connection is power. What is something that people wants more than money? People wants more than connection. I think is power. Power to control, control other people's mind, and this is something that we is so hard to beat. I think that's such an interesting and challenging prompt, right? Because why do people want power? And I'm not talking about like why do they say or why do they think, but at least to me, in the way I. Have experienced and understand the world. People only want power when they feel powerless. Mm. And so, what is it that's missing in your life? If the way I've experienced it is, I'm not someone who wants control over anyone else, but I don't like it when people try controlling me. So I get that, and therefore, I'd rather be in control than feel like it. But I think this is so important. And so, for example, I'm um, back. I think it's about a month and a half ago. I think it was on December 8th. You had Nick uh, Klingensmith on your show, and he was talking about how you can't really control what life throws at you. Like things happen; there were things out of your control. And my idea that we were already talking about, you know, that he was saying a very similar thing is, you know, you can decide how you respond. You can decide on the how, and that is something you can have control over. And I think if people really own that they have that control. Then there isn't as much of a need to control others, to have power over others. What do I need power for? Again, it's because something's missing, because something's lacking, because there's an insecurity. But life happens. I don't care how much power you have in the world. If you're on your private jet and it gets hit by lightning, and the systems fail and you crash, I don't care how much power you think you have. I don't care if you have more money than you know 50% of the planet. It doesn't matter. You can't control everything, no matter how much you try, and that's where I think that we get in our own way because we're trying to have control of the things we can't. So you know, so many people, you know, there's that old adage of you know, life is what you make it. That's total nonsense. Life is 10% what I make it. It's 90% how I take it. It's what do I choose to do? How do I choose to respond? So before we were talking about blame, I think it's very similar related concept. Is those ideas of should things should be a certain way? My boss should recognize my work. My coworkers should do their fair share. Uh, this person should sh show up on time for their appointment. The service here should be faster. My kids should listen to me. That's fighting with what is. Did it happen or not? And so one of the things that I have a lot of clients do, uh, whether it's individual coaching clients or whether it's business leaders, it's like make a list of both all the shoulds you're aware of, and then over the next week, anytime you say a should out loud or you think it, write it down, and at the end of every night, go back, cry out should, write could, and write the sentence. My boss could recognize my effort. My coworkers could do their fair share. This person could show up on time to the appointment. My kids could listen to me. The service here could be faster. I could go to the gym. I could eat healthier. Once I accept that, this goes back to that responsibility instead of blame. Okay, I could. Now it's up to me. And maybe it's not the best choice. I have a limited amount of energy and time. 
but I'm taking ownership of what I can influence, which is how do I want to respond to what is. Wow. Yeah, I believe in extreme ownership too. But sometimes it's also, it could be a small line of stress on the shoulder as well, if you're not balance it well. Like it could come back to self-blame again, like in another way that 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 is like taking on so much responsibility that over limit that this is not your fault yes but let's go back to what we were talking about before it may not be your fault but it doesn't mean you don't have responsibility for what you did ah uh, yeah again, fault, that's true yeah fault is just saying it's your fault okay so what now what it's your fault it's your responsibility means now you get to decide are you going to do something to fix it are you going to do something to improve it are you going to do something to change it going forward mm. so For anyone who experiencing highs and lows in life, do you have any tips and tricks for them to embrace the flow? Yeah, I think we've already spoken about two of them. Uh, one, uh, which I just mentioned, was that switch should to could, because there's highs and lows. Things happen, and rather than fighting with what is, just look at what is, and therefore what are the possibilities, what could happen, and now I can decide. The situation may suck. I'm not saying it doesn't. That happens to all of us. You had the car accident. I had the spinal injury. But rather than getting stuck there, it's what could I do, and what do I choose to do? It's taking not ownership for what happened, but for how I respond. Similarly, and we already talked about shifting blame to responsibility. It's not finding fault. It's about choosing how I want to try and fix or address this. And the third one that I think is very much part of this and responding to the ups and downs in life is shifting from intention to interest. And I'm not talking about intentions for ourselves. Absolutely, set your intentions for how you want to show up. But when we have intentions for what the outcomes will be, now we're trying to control what, how the world's going to respond, how other people are going to respond. And we can't. We're only going to be disappointed. We're going to be frustrated. If instead I set an intention only for myself, how I want to show up, and I'm interested to see what the outcome is, now I'm actually living in the moment. Now I'm dealing with what is and not fighting with my ideas of what's supposed to be or what I want it to be. And it's when we're fighting with those things, that's where we get more and more frustrated. So I'd say start there. The, the being piece that we talked about is my strategic piece. I also really use that question I've kept saying in different ways, how do I want to be? That's a tactical piece. Because in this very moment, as I'm lying in this bed, as you and I are having this conversation, how do I want to be right here and now? How do I want to show up? How do I want to respond to this situation? And I want to be completely transparent here. I'm not saying that there aren't times where life is so overwhelming, whether it's conflicting pressures, responsibilities, emotions, that there's an easy answer. And I'm not saying that I get it right all the time. But what I do use is when it's the most overwhelming, I use a very particular version of this that I call future casting. And I ask myself the question, okay, I'm so overwhelmed right now. I don't even know. Okay. Looking back on this in five years, what am I going to have wished to have said or done right now? And it's five years in the future. How do I want to have shown up in this situation? What do I want to have done? What do I want to have said? And I think we've all had that experience where whether it's two hours from now, two weeks, two months, two years, I don't know. We look back and go, oh, I wish I'd said something different. I wish I'd done something different. Well, when it's really the most overwhelming, give yourself the chance to think about what that will have been in the past. And then it's pretty simple. I'm not saying it's easy, 
Marshall Goldsmith makes that fantastic point of simple doesn't mean easy, but it's usually pretty simple to get in touch with what will I really have been the proudest of? What will I really have felt is the most true to what I believe in and my values and how I want other people to experience me? And I'm not going to regret having said or done that. Mm, amazing. In case anyone want to want to work with you, where can they find you or reach out to you then? Absolutely. So in my introduction, you were taught you mentioned ripples, and I really believe that. And I think how we each show up in the world it influences the people we interact with, and then how they show up influences the people around them. So ROI for me isn't just return on investment; it's ripples of impact. And so oh. I just like getting in touch with people, connecting with people, and anyone who wants to get in touch. I welcome a 30-minute consultation, totally free, no strings attached, and you can just get on my website, stepsalongtheway.global/schedule. And the name of my business is Steps Along the Way because I think how we get to where we are now is the steps we've taken to get here, and how you live your best life is being intentional about the steps you take next. So stepsalongtheway.global/schedule. So. You find the link somewhere around here on the screen, and also description and show note, everyone. And I bet if you still stick until here, and you are in depth with the conversation like me right now, and you still like on the brain thinking through about how would you like to show up, how do you want to do and be right now. And asking yourself that, so don't feel hesitate to book a strategy call with Jonathan. So I think it's worth it. So thank you so much, Jonathan, to sharing and having a deep conversation with me today. I'm enlightening and very enjoying. So yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Matita. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. I hope this episode inspired you to get unstuck wherever you are in your journey. So that you can have your business that support your lifestyle. Get a show note at helpyougetunstuck.com today. Start implementing what you have learned. The results of your consistent effort and improvement are worth it, because you deserve the freedom to enjoy your life. Speak to you next time, and don't forget to get unstuck.